time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 33 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. We hug them and kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Coffee, coffee. Holly, yeah, what kind of coffee did we brew today? This is cinnamon bun. I know. It was good. It is good. Yeah. It's delicious coffee. If you're a fan of delicious coffee and scrumptious scones, head on over to Coffee Coffee. You will not be disappointed. Here we are. It's summer heat in July. Yeah. I mean, it's hot. Yeah, I don't like it when it's hot. I have to sing my song. It's getting hot in here. No. So put on all your fans, on your chickens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have the fans going, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. The poor chickens, man. These heat waves going across the country. I know. It's awful. It's unreal. All the livestock. The sheep are not happy. Nobody's happy. The only ones happy are the dogs and the cats that get to stay inside and look at it and say, man, it's hot out there. Yeah. Yeah. So what's been up with you? We're working on building runs. For yeah, our you've been future, working. On, yeah, done that for a while for our future Nankin grow out pens, which is fine. But we usually wait till in the evening when things have cooled down a bit oh, to go yeah. out and work. Yeah, Georgia Martha's run is just about finished. Yay! We're gonna do at least one run for grow out pen. Oh for yeah, future baby Nankins, but it would be ideal to have a, a couple more too. Oh yeah, no one ever said I have too many runs, right? <laughs> There's no such thing as too many runs or too many coops. No. So we're working on a coop over here. Big shout out to my neighbor who lives down the street who used Mm -hmm. to have chickens, who is giving me his coop. Yeah, it's nice. We're going to put some pictures up to show kind of where we're going. We're just making a few modifications to the coop to make it work for us. And then we have to take a side of the run down and get it in because it's a very large coop. It won't go through the door. Yeah. So then the babies will have their own coop. Exactly. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've been working on it. We're getting a new vinyl floor in everything. So it's going to be very posh. That should make it easier to clean too. Oh, yes, yeah. definitely. So we've had to pull out the little baby pools. Yeah. I mean, the good thing about the little baby pools is they're very shallow. And the only thing that we need to put in are their feet. The feet, right. You actually do not want to get your whole chicken wet. No. Because then she can't fluff her feathers and help regulate her own body heat. They like to fluff the feathers to regulate the, you know, so yeah. that they can cool themselves off. Exactly. So, and yeah. if you get the feathers wet, then they can't do that and it can no. trap the heat and overheat them very quickly. That oh, way. yeah. So we just put it out there and just let them stand just in the there. Feet. That's right. Just for a few minutes. And then they look at us like, are you crazy? We don't want to stand oh, in girls, this pool. My girls are all about it. Mine are not. I've said this before. They do not like the baby pool. I'm like, it is your friend in this heat. <laughs> Please. Maybe your young ones will like it. Maybe they will. I could see the seven five rolls being right in there. Oh, they're like, please, Lord, get me out of this heat. Uh-huh. I had to actually bring them back into their pop-up and put them back in with a fan on them because it was too hot for them. Yeah. So that's the one thing. If anybody has new salmon favorols out there, they are not great in the heat. Exactly. Where the bantams are doing well in the heat, but come winter, we're going to have to make provisions for them. Their little bodies, they don't have a l- enough body mass. No, they're so tiny. Okay, so before we move on, we had a few things we wanted to mention. And the first thing was, if you're listening to the show and loving it, and you would like to help us out, and you're on Apple Podcast, you can leave us a written review, and it does amazing things for us. We would really appreciate it. It's a great help. We also have 
a Patreon page. Yes, we do. If you would like to become a patron of the show, you can head on over, see our levels of membership and the benefits you receive, and join us for the super fun happy hour. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun. How about we take a second to tell everybody about a a fun new game? Chicken Challengers. It's a cool new card game that you can learn in just about three minutes. All the cards are chicken-inspired. Some are based on real breeds. And there's some excellent puns. It's a fast-paced and perfect game for your family when you're... At the beach. Chicken Challengers. Camping. Chicken Challengers. Friday night with friends and wine. Chicken Challengers. Chicken Challengers now available on Amazon. So, it's time to move on to our Breed Spotlight. Yeah. I don't even know what to say. (laughs) This is a very special breed of chicken that we're talking about this week. That's why we did a really good one. Yeah. Well, I mean, given the fact that they've got some wild hair. Oh, yeah. I think a hard rock ballad would have been appropriate. I would have done that. I know. So anyway, (laughs) so this week we're talking about the Icelandic chicken. Yes. Has everyone heard of the Icelandic chicken? I don't know. I don't know, but it's a really cool chicken. They're very, very old breed of chicken. Very interesting. They are. There's just some wild stuff about them. Yeah. They're a land race breed. So they've developed over hundreds of years on the island of Iceland. 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 I've always wanted to go to Iceland and it's only like a few hour plane rider away. It's not too far. Yeah. I have gone through Iceland a couple of times when I was going to Scotland yeah. to do my work for graduate school and just wanted to stay. It looks amazing. Yeah. So records show that the Icelandic chicken has been present in Iceland since 900 AD. That might be one of the furthest back chickens that we've had. Yeah, that's pretty far. That is very far. So apparently Norse people came to Iceland to settle them and they brought the chickens with them. And sometimes you hear them called Viking chickens. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. And the Icelandics were pretty much the only breed on Iceland until the early 20th century. And that's when more industrial breeds started showing up on the island. Of course, that's always the way. Right. And that's when the breed started to decline and the population of Icelandic chickens was pretty much in free fall until... 1970. 1970s. And then, you know, some groups started acting to conserve the remaining bloodlines. At the same time, during the 1970s, birds started to be exported from Iceland into various countries, including the U.S. Right. We're not too far from Iceland, so it kind of makes sense. It's actually not a terrible plane ride, honestly. No, no. We're not too far, so that is like a natural progression, definitely. And they've been supported here by independent breeders ever since. Right. The Livestock Conservancy currently lists the Icelandic chicken in the threatened category of the culture conservation list. And if you're new to the podcast and you haven't heard us talk about land race breeds before, we'll just tell you quickly. A land race breed develops essentially without human intervention. Right. So we talk about every week, this person developed this breed. Exactly. This type of chicken evolved naturally. Right. They Mm self-selected and they evolved largely unassisted into a breed that have very hardy traits that match the environment they lived in. So let's take a guess. They're very cold hardy. Definitely. Very cold hardy. They're excellent foragers. They don't eat a ton. They are excellent at evading predators, as you have to be if you've been around for a couple thousand years. And they still retain the genes for broodiness. Great. So they want to stay in existence themselves. Exactly. This is what happens when you don't have a lot of people messing with the breed. Right. So one of the things that goes along with the land race breed is that they tend to vary in appearance. There's no breed standard for them. The Icelandic has not been accepted by the American Poultry Association. It doesn't surprise me because there is no standard of perfection. Right. They're light-bodied chickens. They're small chickens. Again, they're pretty efficient with their feed. They come in all kinds of different colors and feather patterns. It's so wild. I've been looking at the pictures Uh of these chickens. 
one chicken they kind of remind me of in appearance. What's that? Some of the images. The lake bar. Yeah, some of them can be lighter in color. They're like tan and gray with like a crest and right. the curvy kind of comb. Right. Well, interestingly, they can have all kinds of crests. They can have tons of crests or just a little tassel. And with all different comb. kinds of combs. All different kinds of combs. That's right. That's pretty wild. It is. Probably straight and rose comb are the most common, but yeah. you'll see all kinds of things. So the crests, some of them have like big mohawks. Yeah, I was saying in the pictures. And some of them have those small tassels. I read in multiple sources that Icelandics may not have feathered legs and they may not have muffs or beards or ear tufts. Right. You should see none of those things in a pure Icelandic. Here's the other thing that's kind of cool. The leg color is going to vary. Yeah. So you could have two of them that are like brothers next to each other, one with yellow legs, one with slate legs. Yeah. It's kind of cool. It is. I mean, really anything goes other than those things that we mentioned that they can't have the beards and the feather legs. Anything goes. They are good layers, as you would expect right. from a land race breed. They will lay in cold weather. Also something you would expect from a chicken in Iceland. <laughs> exactly. They don't like confinement. This is one of the things we were talking about earlier when we were just talking before the show is this may not be the best chicken if you have very young children that want to snuggle a chicken. I've been told that they're quite wild. There were a few people who said that if they spent a lot of time with a bird, it might become trusting and friendly. But in general, they're just sort of the edge of wild. It's our motto. You get out what you put in. Right. But you're going to have to put in an excessive amount and be kind of right there because Mm -hmm. naturally they want to forage. Right. They want to free range. And if you have these birds and you keep them in a run, it's going to have to be huge. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, it's... They, so maybe they, not the best choice for, say, a small urban yard or something like that. Right. But if you want these chickens to help preserve this breed, just know what you're kind of getting into. Right. You're going to have to have free range time for sure. Now, this was interesting to me. And I do know this because I have a friend slash neighbor who breeds them. Right. Icelandic breeders are super careful. Oh, yeah. They are absolutely dedicated to ensuring that this breed is protected, not diluted with genes from any other chicken breeds. They want pure Icelandics to retain all of the special things that they have, which I get. I totally understand that because here you have this breed of chicken that started 900 AD. Right. We can't say it was a monk or it was somebody else (laughs) that came up with this chicken. Chicken evolved naturally. Right. And that is pretty cool. It is. So and they're really amazing chickens to watch. The images, they're beautiful chickens. They are. So the only thing that if you just have to have the space, they don't do well with confinement. Right. So it's like one of the major things to consider. Because Icelandic breeders are so careful, you will find virtually no commercial hatcheries with Icelandics. I'm not surprised right. with that. They no. have to be beyond careful. Yeah. And I get it. I do understand that respect it. Your best bet to get an Icelandic, should you want these chickens, is to try to find a breeder local to you. Yeah, and there is a Facebook group. The Icelandic Chickens of America Facebook group. And they do list when they have birds for sale. Yeah. Or you can go and post an in-search-of post. And the final thing is Sandhill Preservation does sell these straight front, but they're sold out for 2021. That doesn't surprise me either. None of this is surprising. Yeah. It's a really cool chicken, mm-hmm. and it's kind of one that may not be on anybody's radar, but right. they need some help. Yeah. So if you are a person who has a big area to free range Mm -hmm. and, you know, you kind of let your chickens be, they might be a good homestead chicken for certain areas. Yeah. I wouldn't put them in a real warm area. They're used to colder climate. I would still be careful around here where we're just inundated with predators. Even around here, if I had Icelandics, I would just be building an enormous aviary for them. I think they just need a ton of space. Mm -hmm. And like you said, 
everything kind of says they're pretty wild. I like Edge of Wild. Yeah. Edge of Wild. Yeah. I did read, and this made me laugh, and I, and I know this from my friend who keeps them. They love nothing better than a good compost pile to dig in. Oh, nice. Yeah, they love it. This would be a fun chicken to sit in the yard and watch if you're in a low predator area. Absolutely. Around here, we're predator saturated, yeah. so it would yeah. not be good for us. Right. And, you know, you don't want to take away their natural tendencies. No. Because they're not going to be happy. They're probably a very good homestead chicken in a cooler area, someplace where it doesn't get super hot. Northeast, Midwest, someplace where you're not going to get a lot of heat. And you've got crazy crests, all kinds of crazy crests. Oh, yeah. The pictures are beautiful. Yeah, that's fun. Okay, so it's about that time when we're going to go across the pond and have coffee with Fiona. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So how's it going over there? We now have a lot more chicks. We now have had (laughs) Willow and Laurel have both hatched their chicks. So that's awesome. We've got two barn of elders that hatched. We have got another five well summers. Wow. And then we have got an unexpected little drama. Oh, wow. Because the breeder we bought the eggs from accidentally sent us a Brahma egg. Holly's oh jumping goodness. on the next British air flight. Right? She'll be over there to pick up the chick. I will be smuggling this small chick home. We don't know what it's going to end up to be. It could That's either okay. be a splash, a blue, or a buff blue. Who knows? I would take any of the above. Happily. Boy or girl. <laughs> Boy or girl. The splash it's are beautiful. So cute. Yeah, it's aren't so they? cute. Yeah. Really <laughs> I feel like, well, Orpingtons are that classic chick, you know, that beautiful yellow chick. Yeah. Or, Orpingtons are the classic, but I feel like both the Brahmas and the Favreau chicks are off the cuteness charts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Favreaux <laughs> are just gorgeous. The beards, just so <laughs> lovely. They have been, okay, the only thing those two would like to do on my end is look in the camera really close to you and sleep. Every yeah. time I see them, they're sleeping. Hassan is not as sleepy as your girl. She's very active and she's very, she's very people. She always wants to be with the people. You got to go in and like shake them and say, it's two o'clock, wake up. Not croissant. He will go in there with his camera. He sits on the ground when he shoots the chicken photos and croissant is always on him, always (laughs) on him or right up against him. It's the cutest thing. So your little Brahma is in with the barn of elders. No, actually, she's now back with the Orpingtons where you tried to put her in with the barn of elders and Laurel wasn't having any of it. She literally pushed her out of the nest, out of the coop in the end. Oh, boy. So I had to scoop him or her up and because we've got no chance of knowing whether it was a girl or a boy at this stage. So scoop it up and put it in with uh, Willow and the little Orpingtons and Willow took them no problem. Oh, that's awesome. Thank goodness. I mean, you don't want a baby walking around like, where's my mom? Oh, that's horrible. I'll tell you what I did on Twitter the other night, though. I posted a photo and and played chicken, where's Waldo? Willow sat down for the night, so roosting, and obviously she had the chicks under her. Yeah. Chicken, where's Waldo? Where's the Brahma? And of course, there was only one little feathery leg sticking out. It was so funny. The amount of (laughs) answers I got back was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) So what are we going to be talking about today with our Ruby report? Well, something I get a lot of questions on is what do we feed our chicks when they're hatched and as they get older, and particularly what to feed them if they're in with a larger flock. Mm -hmm. Right. So I thought it was worth talking about it a little bit more. 
I think so because we know at least like Kate Marilyn Farm Girl, as known as Marilyn Farm Girl on Instagram, she's going to have that same exact issue because she's putting those babies back in. So what do we feed them once they're back in with all the grown-ups and how do we feed them? We've got a very simple rule which covers just about everything. And that Mm -hmm. simple rule is feed to the youngest in the flock. And then everybody else, we need to consider their nutritional requirements on top. But Mm -hmm. if we've got chicks and they're on either chick crumb or we've got micro pellets over here in the UK, which are amazing because they're far less messy than chick crumb. If the chicks are on chick crumb or pellets, everybody else gets the same. And then we provide coarse oyster Mm -hmm. shell for the laying hens because they will eat that to give them the extra calcium. Because without it, they'll start finding calcium from elsewhere in the bodies, which will be their bones. Exactly. Nobody wants that. It's not a good idea. I've heard a lot of people saying that it's dangerous to let the laying hens eat the chick crumble because of the extra protein. Do you find that's an issue or not? No, we've never had an issue with that at all. I don't understand why that would be an issue, if I'm brutally honest. What I've read is that it could be damaging to the kidneys. I never bought that argument because as soon as a hen walks out of the coop, she's going to be eating more protein than you supply her in her food. She's going to be eating worms and bugs and things like that. Well, the time period that they're going to be on it as well is so short because Mm -hmm. after four weeks, the chicks are moved on to growers' pellets anyway. Right, okay. And then shortly after that, they're on to layers. So I don't believe they're going to be on the protein for a significant amount of time, which means that there's not enough time for it to build up in their kidneys for it to damage their kidneys. Right. And then at what week would you be transferring them over to like a layer pellet? Because they're Orpingtons, we will move them on at 20 weeks. If we have cream leg bars or layers which start to lay earlier, we will move them on at two weeks before they would normally come to lay. So we've got some cream leg bars at the moment, so we'll probably switch them over about 16 weeks. Essentially, our Orpingtons won't start to lay till 24 to 26 Mm -hmm. weeks. So we wouldn't normally switch them over till 22 weeks. But that time period between switching them over, because we've got cream leg bars at 16 weeks, 22 weeks, the extra calcium, if they're on it for long term, would cause damage to their kidneys. But for a six-week period, it's not enough time for that calcium to cause that kind of damage. And we've never had a problem with any of our chickens having kidney issues at all. Okay. Yeah. This is very timely for me because my Egyptian Fayumis start to lay at four or five months. So right, substantially okay. earlier than the leg bars or the favorals or the speckled Sussex. So yeah. this is very helpful. So just to recap, you do chick food for about four weeks, then they move to the growers and they're on the yes. growers until about 20 weeks or 18 weeks for the leg bars. They can actually be on chick food for longer Mm -hmm. to be honest, because our broody hens don't all hatch at the same time. Right. So although we had quite a lot of broody hens hatching at once this time, we've then got three weeks before the next set hatched. And then we've got another two weeks before the set beyond that hatch. So actually the youngest are going to be on chick crumb till nine weeks old. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Quite a long time. We can't move any of them up until the youngest are of the right age. At the same time, they're eating loads of grass. They're grazing every single day. They've been grazing since, well, day one. 
Right. The brood hens have all taught them to eat grass straight away. And that's a huge part of their diet. Now, with the chicks being so little eating grass, do they just get natural grit from inside your yard? Or do you supply a little bit of grit to help break down that grass at all? We provide chick grit. It's so cheap over here. We buy 20 kilo sacks Mm -hmm. and we pay a very small amount. That's one thing that with little tiny chick feeding that we should kind of put out there. If you're letting your chicks graze, they're going to need some grit. I chatted with a lot of people in local farm shops because we had a hard time finding mm-hmm. chick grit this spring. And they were all oh. saying that it's, it's not recommended anymore. And I totally rebelled against that. We went to like three or four different shops until we found it and bought a good supply because we both agree with you. It's completely necessary if your chicks are on any kind of a natural diet. Yeah, if they're in the grass Absolutely. at all. Yeah, yeah, they need something to help break that down in the crop. I think so, the assumption is that uh, chicks are fed on just standard chick crumb or chick pellets. Yeah. And actually, because it's incorporated to a certain degree in those, they don't actually need it. But ours are free ranging. They're outside. Mm-hmm. They're digging for grubs. Cinnamon's chicks, who are four weeks old, they're catching worms. Right. Mm-hmm. They're digging them up. I see them running around fighting over worms. <laughs> it's so cute when chicks find worms. When they get them for the first time, there's a, there's only the smaller size that they can actually cope with. Yeah. But now and again, they do actually dig up a big one. Yeah. And then they don't know what to do with it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and all the others are trying to get it and they're running around until yes. they can pop it down to actually think, well, what do I do with it now? <laughs> so, so cute. Funny. It is. But we're giving them a lot of weeds as well. Wild mustard, if you have any wild areas in your garden or on your property mm-hmm. and there's wild mustard comes up in the, the grass, they absolutely love it. They we have loads of that. I was going to say, do you have dandelions too? Yes, they get dandelions. Yes. And yeah. the other thing they love is something called goosegrass. Have you ever seen that? No. It's like a, a sticky thing. They call it sticky bob over here as well as a name. Wow. Yeah. This year in the UK, sticky bob is everywhere because it loves wet conditions and we've had lots and lots of rain. Wow. So I am ripping it out of my flower garden all the time because it comes in from the fields the other side of our hedge. Mm -hmm. And I can't get on top of it. There's just so much of it. (laughs) But they're loving it. Yeah. And they go crazy for it. We do have goosegrass. I recognize it. Yeah. I mean, the fact it's called goosegrass should (laughs) be called that because they used to feed it to the geese. Yeah. Um, But the chickens (laughs) love it too. But actually, you make a good point about the feeders because we have, when the chickens are old, and I know we've covered this before about propping over our treadle feeders so it doesn't Mm -hmm. damage the chicks. But we also put out what we call green hat open feeders as well. You know, the open feeder, the rain hat over the top. Yes. Mm -hmm just so that it's easier for them to get into it because actually still the treadle feeder to actually get into where the hopper is it's still very high off the ground and when you get okay. tiny tiny chicks they yeah. can't get in so they're relying yeah. to mum kind of dropping out bits so the low feeder types are better but they've also come to recognize what we call the treat jug the mm. jug of much treats. <laughs> yes. Which is, it's just a metal canister. And the jug of much treats just gets filled with whole grain, just whole wheat. Mm-hmm. And they can't cope with it when they're very, very young. Mm-hmm. But within a week, 
our Orpington checks are guzzling up that whole wheat. Oh, wow. Clearly, other checks from other breeds won't be able to cope with whole wheat grains. Right. Probably so a little bit later. But our Orpingtons, because we're breeding them big as well, yeah. they can cope about one one week. And then by, you've seen on my Instagram, by week four, they're flying at me. They yeah. are flying. <laughs> it's the cutest thing. We want the treats. <laughs> So that was excellent information for everyone yes. who could have a broody hen who hatched and now the integration has kind of happened and now feeding has happened. So thank you for your broody report. Until next no week, we'll see you later, Miss Fiona. Love to see you. Bye. So we kind of started with Icelandic chicken because today's main topic is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about the evolution of the chicken. Yeah. And you know what? Everyone's out there. I'm raising tiny dinosaurs. Right. Where did this all come from? We found some pretty interesting facts about the whole evolution of the chicken. We did. The evolution of the modern chicken is just a super long story with lots and lots of gaps. And some of the gaps have been filled in with archaeological evidence, you know, carbon dating, that sort of thing. But there are tons of holes. Let's look at it this way. When we talked to Dr. Couch, she was talking about bantam bones being found on the West Coast at different places. These chickens weren't around forever. Yeah. And really, archaeologists are some of the key scientists who can uncover some of this evidence. DNA evidence does exist that chickens and dinosaurs are closely related. Yes. So scientists took the DNA from a 68 million year old Tyrannosaurus rex. And that's old. It is old. Compared it with the DNA of 21 modern species. Right. And the most closely related was... The chicken. The chicken. It was. I mean, it explains a lot of things about the chickens and how they even look. Their amazing hunting skills. Yeah. They've been around literally forever. And then there are other scientists who believe that chickens are dinosaurs. There are dinosaurs that survived the mass extinction, and they are avian. Right. And that includes the chicken. Then evolved to the jungle fowl. And from the jungle fowl. Then our modern-day domesticated chicken. Exactly. So there is quite the line that goes down, but it does go all the way back. So everyone's saying they're raising tiny dinosaurs. They kind of are. They really are. Yeah. So the absolute earliest evidence of domesticated chickens that we found dates from 5400 BC, and this was from various parts of China. A lot of everything that was found was that Asia was the starting stomping ground for these chickens, and that's where the jungle fowl came from. That's right. Scientists have repeatedly proven this, that chickens descend from jungle fowl. Exactly. There are four distinct types of jungle fowl, but until recently it was believed that chickens were descended directly from the red jungle fowl. However, recently, there's been some DNA evidence that proved that the gray jungle fowl is also related to the modern chicken. I saw that. And, you know, I was looking at both of these chickens. Man, Uh they're cool looking. They're really neat looking. Can you imagine being in a jungle and just watching these chickens? The red is tropical looking. Yes. I mean, kind of like when you think about a scarlet macaw. Or yeah, they're very uh, vivid. They're very vivid. But they're very chicken-like, too. They're chicken-like, but they're kind of on the same lines. Like you, like the macaws are up top flying mm-hmm. and the chickens are down on the ground. Right. So cool. So according to Dr. Joseph Barber, who is the editor of The Chicken and Natural History, the gene for yellow skin that is found in modern chickens, mm-hmm. yellow skin tends to be more popular for chickens in the United States. Yes. That gene for yellow skin most likely comes from that gray jungle fowl. And they look totally different than the red. They do. It's really unusual. They kind of remind me of a quail. The females? Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. You, like, I can see that, yeah. So wild. They are not quail. They're absolutely They're not, gallus. but they remind me of the look. Yeah. 
they're, they're beautiful. Yeah, and they're a little less vivid than the red, and they have turquoise in them. Yeah, it's pretty. Which is so cool. It is. So scientists agree that there is not one spot where chickens were domesticated. It occurred in many different locations throughout mm-hmm. Asia. Chickens were domesticated pretty early on. So they were domesticated later than the dog, cat, sheep, and goat, but earlier than horses and donkeys. Okay. So we're still talking a really, really long time ago. Yeah, because, okay, you think about how long ago were people riding horses. So, yeah. Again, according to Dr. Joseph Barber, the jungle fowl has three traits that made them predisposed to domestication. Okay. The first is that they forage for food, mostly seed and grass, and they don't compete with humans for food. Yes. So, you know, a good companion is going to eat the grass. That makes you want to be domesticated. Right. The second is that they do handle different climates and environments. Right. And the third is that they imprint. So the imprinting on a human who's trying yes. to domesticate them really predisposes them for this. Yes. They are going to take to somebody. Mm-hmm. Quick story. Remember Pearl? I remember Pearl. She was an Americana. Yeah. And remember, she got bullied and then was taken out of the flock. Right. And she totally imprinted me. I mean, yeah. like, she yeah. followed she me. Chicken. Yeah. She followed me everywhere. Yep. They are definitely domesticated. There, yes. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And like a lot of other animals, the chicken began to change and evolve with domestication. They became a larger bird. Their wings got smaller. Well, they had to fly less. They're being carried around by the chicken ladies. Right. <laughs> They also develop new feather and color patterns. Yes. And this is called domestication syndrome. Right. And when people talk about this, most people cite the 1950, 1960s Russian silver fox experiment. I've heard all about that. It's so cool. It is really interesting. So essentially, the theory there is when an animal is domesticated through succeeding generations, it Mm -hmm. changes in color and... Everything changed. Yeah. Appearance-wise. While it was bred in captivity, it was totally different than when it bred in the wild. Right. There are some scientists that say that there isn't enough actual evidence to prove that domestication syndrome is a thing, but most scientists do agree in theory that it is real. It is. You take some of these animals, they do not need the camouflage once they're domesticated. Right. So that's like the whole theory of their coats colors change and everything changes. They need different things at that point. I do understand scientifically they don't have the actual evidence to prove it. But it's kind of cool. But... Yeah, it definitely does seem to be a real... They don't have the evidence, but it's happened. Yes. How and why, we don't know well, that, but we know it happens. It to be true in chickens because look at the progression. There's total progression. Mm-hmm. So another way that domestication changed chickens is eggs. We're talking about very early chickens. They used to only lay eggs for a few weeks out of the year. Kind of like ducks do. Right, exactly. They lay more frequently. Their eggs are much bigger. And there's a plethora of laying with chickens. Right. So according to their breed standards now, they could lay one egg every other day, one egg every four days, mm-hmm. and anywhere in between. Yeah. So all those different breeds due to the domestication have their own set of perfection. I did find it fascinating that the anatomy remains the largely the same for the jungle fowl and the modern chicken. When you look at the pictures, they do. The skeleton is very, very similar. The bones are the same. The exception is some of the breeds, especially heritage breeds that have been bred for meat. So they genetically produce more muscle than lighter body breeds. Right. And obviously, industrial breeding practices in the 20th century made chickens change even more. Oh, yes. Not always in good ways. This is what we're saying. When man steps in, uh-huh. things change. Pushes things too far. It does. So extra muscle in a heritage breed is not the end of the world. 
But in some cases, the commercial breeds have been pushed to the point where they have developed muscle myopathy and right. other dysfunctions. Exactly. I think Dr. Couch was referring to that back in our 4th of July episode when she talked about using heritage breed genetics to save modern chicken populations. Well, here's the one thing that she said that was interesting. Well, she said a whole bunch of stuff that was interesting. <laughs> right. But there are some commercial industrial chickens that need to be bred via artificial insemination. Right. So they can't even, because of the overbreeding, breed on their own at this point. So the evolution is like they're wild, they become domesticated, and then they become overbred. Right. It's all kind of a hairy situation in there and and keeping that line of keeping the breed alive versus overbreeding. Right. And I thought this was really interesting. According to Dr. Barber in Chickens and Natural History, commercially bred chickens now have less than half of the genetic diversity of wild chickens or jungle fowl. Less than half. Yeah, it's been bred out. Exactly. I thought that was a scary statistic. It is. And that's why heritage breeds are so important. Absolutely. As I read further, I saw a couple of predictions that genetic engineering work may further alter chickens in industrial settings. We hope for the better. This is what I compare it to. When you have a really good recipe and you make it once and you love it. Then you're like, I can make this better next time by doing this. And you tweak one thing and then you make it better. And then the third time that you make it, you're like, I'm going to change everything around. And in the end, that recipe is nothing like it was (laughs) in the beginning. So that's kind of what's happening to them evolving over the years. The other problem with industrial breeding is they line bread. Yeah. And so they would select for one trait. Yeah. And when you're selecting for one trait, you're generally selecting the chickens that are closest related genetically. And that's going to be a problem. And so, you know, you have (laughs) one or two breeds who have been line bred for egg production. Yeah. One or two breeds that have been line bred for meat production. And then you get a lot of genetic mistakes that happen. You end up with some serious health issues. Yeah. In those animals. Exactly. So. So that's like the one thing. But, you know, I just think it's really funny that there is no exact scientific information that chickens evolved from dinosaurs, but we kind of all say that they do. But they are the closest living thing left to dinosaurs. The closest living relative of the T-Rex is the chicken in your backyard. And the whole tiny arm thing has been a craze. (laughs) I've seen so many chicken pictures with those dinosaur arms. Yes. We all want dinosaurs back. (laughs) I don't know. I felt like Ricardo Montalban was more than half a dinosaur. (laughs) His feet were huge. There was something very dinosaur about those feet. You could just hear the boom, boom, (laughs) boom, boom. These chickens are. They go back. If you look at the pictures, they do look very dinosaur-like. One of the things that's really interesting to me about all this research, and this occurs with other livestock too, is that at a certain point, that animal and humans became intermeshed, sort of a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. And so they need us, we need them. Yeah. So they evolve together. Certain animals like the llama that were domesticated very, very early on don't even exist in the wild. Right. Their wild counterpart is very genetically distinct from them. Yeah, exactly. And I will tell you that if I released my llamas into the wild, they would be on the porch the next morning asking for breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) This is what we say, and it kind of goes back to these different places like in Florida and Hawaii where these chickens are able to live in wild colonies. colonies. Yeah. They're going back to their grassroots. And the climate is such that they can reproduce and live. And they do it. Yeah. They do it without domestication, really. I mean, well, I'm sure people are trying to feed them and stuff. Have you seen photos of, like, you'll see a group of tourists in Key West at a diner and there's a a rooster sitting on the back of the chair waiting for snacks? Yeah. All the signs. Please do not feed the chickens. Uh The chickens, like, disregard that sign, please. (laughs) I will take your table scraps. 
But no, it's really a cool thing. And it just adds into the mystique of the chicken mm-hmm. that they come yeah. from dinosaurs. But you can say that they are related to jungle fowl. And you can say that very proudly yeah, and know that you're right. right you know? That's very easy to trace. And if you haven't looked at the jungle fowl, Google them. Red oh jungle my God. fowl, gray jungle fowl. They're There's red, cool. gray, green, Sri Lankan jungle fowl. Yeah, from Ceylon, the, the island. The and then there's India. some pheasants that they kind of throw in there that were kind of in the jungle also. It's the silver pheasant and Edward's pheasant. But they are genetically distinct. They're not the jungle fowl. They're not jungle fowl. They're pheasants. But right. I think they kind of existed at the same time. Okay. And they all look similar, but yet different. And so, they actually have comb and waddles, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. And the barring on some of these, the barring on the gray. Oh, my God. They're really beautiful You birds. could see how they would fit into They're tropical. They're remarkably chicken-like. They really are. That reminds me of a peacock. Because <laughs> it, it has the peacock blue tail. It's yeah. It's like a chicken with a fancy blue beautiful. tail. Beautiful. Yeah. You can say to your chicken, I'm going to take you back to be a jungle fowl. They might like it. <laughs> They'd be know. like, take me back to the jungle, lady, now. <laughs> <laughs> my chickens will be on my doorstep the next morning, <laughs> well, too. I would be like, uh, excuse me? Corn? Uh, where Corn? Where are our snacks? Right? <laughs> Where's the kale? <laughs> Turn my fan on, person. So, evolution of the chicken. It started out potentially from dinosaurs. Went to jungle fowl. Went to your backyard. Right. And then we have some... We're cracking the eggs. You really love this recipe. Yeah. I've been making this for years. This is cherry clafouti. And here, cherries are in season. Exactly. Well, That's they are I'm... mostly June and July. Yeah, but you can still get some sweet cherries right now. So cherry clafouti is a classic French recipe that uses fresh cherries. Right. Eggs, an amaretto, or kirsch cherry brandy. Clafouti is essentially cherries layered in a pie dish or a skillet, and you're going to make the batter and pour that over top in the oven. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Traditional clafouti uses unpitted black cherries. Right? You could lose a tooth on that. We are not going authentic with this recipe. I'm serious. So here's the coolest thing. If you have this little gadget near where you are, use it for cherries forever. There's a cherry pitter that I, I have. have. Yeah. Has, you can put four cherries in there. Oh, mine's a single cherry pitter. No, mine has fits four. Ooh, okay. And you press it down. Yeah. And those pits just come right out. They're easy to use, the cherry pitters. Yeah. So the cherry pits add an almond flavor to the clefouti. But we are totally cheating, and that's why we're using amaretto. Yes, because we want all of our teeth after we eat this. Absolutely. Unpitted dark cherries for us all the way. (laughs) I feel like it interrupts the yumminess. So you pitch your cherries and you're ready to go. So then we make the batter. Okay. The batter has milk, butter, eggs, flour. We use gluten-free flour and we use soy milk. Okay. So you didn't use the oat cream on this? No, I just used regular soy milk. That's what I had in the house. It's creamy enough? Yeah, it's creamy enough. Okay. And everything worked well. Some people call clafouti a cake, but it's more like a baked pudding. It sounds more like a pie-ish from what you're describing, too. I have not made this myself. It's this is Holly Ann's. Yeah, it's, I, I would say it's more like a baked pudding. It's hard to put into words. Most versions, including ours, use three eggs. So if you're making a clafouti, you're going to use three of your eggs. Yeah. It's served very simply. You can serve it hot or cold. It's a very rustic dish. Yeah. You can sprinkle a little powdered sugar if you like yeah. on the top of it. It's really good for breakfast. It sounds delicious for anything. And it's fantastic with coffee. Oh, yeah. 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 So we're going to have to have some. You're going to have to make some next time we record. Absolutely. So it's time for some retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. yeah. Except it's not retail therapy. It's book review. Book review. Yeah. <laughs> The book is available on Amazon. You can buy the hardback version or the used version. Yeah, and it's the used version was much less expensive. Yes. And we both just got it. Yeah, without even talking to each other, which is funny. 
I know. I, I ordered it a while ago. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, I'm one up on Holly. She hasn't talked about this book yet. And then I was like, oh, I got this really cool book. And you're like, yeah, I've already had it. Is <laughs> <laughs> that how I sounded? Like, yeah, I have it already. Like, like, look, I've already read it three times. You're like, I've already had it for like two months. I'm like, shoot, I did not get it before Holly Ann. Librarian. <laughs> I can't win with that one. I was all proud of myself. So we're both looking through reading the book, and it's really cool. It's written by Janet Lemke. The name of the book is Chickens, Their Natural and Unnatural Histories. It's an interesting read. Yeah, it is. It's a fun read. And it's not one that you have to sit down and read the entire book at once. No, you can probably just do the chapters. They're almost like essays. Yeah, it's kind of what I did. I went through and looked at a chapter here and a chapter there. It has some really neat historical anecdotes in it. Oh, yeah. And we picked this book to be in this episode because she talks a lot about the evolution of the chicken in here. She does. And she also sort of traces the chicken through art and culture in different areas of the world. I thought it was very interesting how she did it. And unfortunately, the author has passed away. Right. And it's a good read. And we've been talking about this. Let's let everybody know that Holly Ann and I actually speak every single day of our lives. Nobody would guess that. (laughs) No one would know. So we talk about all this stuff. And we were even like, Martha Washington's in the book. Martha is in the book. Because Martha was famous for her chicken and egg recipes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this book even has a chapter on egg recipes. Right. She started with the evolution of the chicken Mm -hmm. and then tied everything through history in different chapters. Chicken in art, chicken in various... In music. Folk beliefs. Yeah. And then she spent a lot of time talking about the rise of backyard chickens. Yes. A lot of information about that, like popular hatcheries and popular mass-produced coops, that sort of thing. She put a little of everything in, starting with the history of the chicken. Yes. And that's why the book is the natural and the unnatural history. Right. She talks about an area of California, Petaluma, California, right, where sort of industrial chicken farming was born. It was a shot of history that you don't usually see. Yeah. I'm not going to say too much about it. No No spoilers. It's a good book that if you're just sitting in your chair and you want to kind of thumb through the different chapters, mm-hmm. and it goes way back with the chickens and how everything has evolved with them. The modern chicken. She also has in here the classical chicken. Yes. Literally, she covers everything from genetic work being done on poultry at Virginia Tech to how chickens mate. That's why I kind of like it. I mean, you can thumb through whatever one you want to do. Chicken dreams. Yes. That's really cool. Yeah, she has a lot of myth and folklore in here, and we love that stuff. Yeah, if you go over to Patreon, if you become a patron, we do do an episode over there on mythology and chickens, which is really cool. If you'd like to learn, it was so much fun to make that episode and do the research for it. We love that kind of stuff. You know, where did the chicken start? The conquering chicken, the egg itself, the transitional chicken. She has good basic recipes in here. There's a lot of basic egg recipes, Mm -hmm. and... You know, it's just a good read. It sort of takes this animal that we love so much and it paints a really broad picture of it throughout time. That's why we wanted to put it on this show because that's what we're talking about. We'll have it up on our storefront so you can go directly to our page if you like and we'll have it right there for you if you'd like to purchase it. Yes. So should we tell everybody what we're talking about next week? Absolutely. Next week, we are spotlighting the Hamburg chicken. Oh, yeah. Our main topic is the chicken eye. I am excited about this one. It's actually really fascinating. Because the chicken eye, it's so much better than ours. Yes. People don't know that. No, the chicken eye is amazing. We're doing a recipe for classic vanilla pudding. 
That one's mine. I like to, Yeah, I wanted to do that one. And then our retail therapy is nesting pads from a company called Roosty. Yes, that I'm using now myself, using and so are well. you. Yep. And we, yeah, we'll be talking about we'll those. We'll be giving our honest review of those next week. Okay, so until next week, what should everybody do? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.